the first year went really well. I like before I knew it, I was I was substitute for the first team. This was November after only signing in August, and then I played. I came on as a sub at Old Trafford, which was great. Against against Southampton, mm. um, the first year went really well, and then Dave Sexton got sacked in the summer, and I went back to start the next year. I had an injury at the start of the second year, which put me back an awful lot. I was missing for twelve weeks, and really I I went downhill after that. It it the same thing happened to me at the start of the following season. I had another bad injury, which kept me out for about ten weeks, and really I never got back into the picture after that. Mm. A good tackle by Whelan, and a regular goes Robinson. Robinson has Langan supporting. Robinson is beating the player. He's in the penalty area. He's crashing to Stapleton. He's trying to ball. It's a goal! It's a goal! Frank Stapleton has scored! And Ireland lead after four and a half minutes. There's no sentiment involved whatsoever. Yeah. It's incredible. It's such a cruel and, and hard profession that, that people... There's no, I mean, I keep say, repeating it, but there's no sentiment whatsoever. And you've got to go into the game with your eyes open, because if you don't, you're, gonna, you're in for a rude awakening. I have been very lucky. Uh, played, uh, well, I've had nearly 16, nearly 17 years out of the game. I went over to England when I was 15, so uh, and I haven't had any serious injury, and I've done very well financially. Uh, I've travelled the world and made a lot, made a lot of good friends. So uh, I consider myself to be one of the lucky ones. And Brady will take this right wing corner with a left foot should be a curling in swinger. Carter into the middle of the part of the penalty area. Stamps against the back to more and his shot is blocked down. And but scores to take it. Shot blocked down. The ball comes out to Martin. He crosses into the area. It comes to Devil early. He shoots. Kevin shoots. Devil has scored. It's a dream shared by almost every youngster in Ireland. To play for his country or one of the top soccer clubs in England. To be a star and win the applause of more than 50,000 people at a packed Old Trafford. Now there are the lucky ones, Frank Stapleton, Kevin Moran, Liam Brady and Dave O'Leary. But they're also exceptions. The vast majority of Irish youngsters who go to England fail to make the grade. Anto Whelan is the current captain of Bray Wanderers in the League of Ireland. He was a member of a very successful St Joseph's boys team from Salinogan and afterwards joined Bohemians. At the age of 20 he was signed by Manchester United for £30,000 but after three seasons he hadn't made it. One day after training Ron Atkinson called me to his office and he just said that, that uh, my contract was coming up to and it was up in August and uh, my contract wasn't going to be renewed. And as much as it is expected to happen, it's still a big disappointment. You, you like to feel like you want it. Mm. And uh, it was a, a sad day. I was very disappointed. As I say, as much as I expected it, it was, it was still a blow. And uh, it took a while to get over. Mm. Did you try and, and get into another club or get fixed up somewhere else? Um, I, I, Ron Atkinson said he, he would do what he could for me. Um, as a result, I spoke to a few clubs. I spoke to the likes of Rochdale and Torquay, um, Halifax Town. But at the end of the day, I felt that uh, if I was going to make it as a professional footballer, I would rather make it at a big club. So I decided to come home. Money-wise, had you gone to, say, Halifax or Rochdale, the money there wouldn't have been attractive enough to keep you there as a thing from coming home and getting a job and playing part-time here? No, I think you'd, you'd be better off uh, playing part time here and ha and having a decent job yeah. than you would playing in, in the lower regions of the fourth division. Yeah. 
What kind of money would a player make down at the lower end in, in the fourth division, roughly? Roughly, I'd say, beyond the breadline, in all honesty. Uh, to put a figure on it now, like it's, it's three, it's more than that. It's four years since I've come home now. It's, yeah. uh, but roughly, I think it's struggle. Yeah. At the time, uh, Halifax offered me, what was it, £150 a week. Yeah. Like, for a lad, I was only a young lad, I wasn't married at the time, but I'm sure a chap with a, a mortgage and a family, it's... Uh, it's very hard. Martin Murray from Lucan made history in 1975. At 16 years of age, he became the youngest player in history to win an FAI Cup winner's medal while playing for Home Farm. He was described as the new George Best at the time and virtually all of the top English clubs tried to sign him. Eventually, he decided to join Everton. Uh, I went over to see, uh, to look around uh, uh, Goodison Park and um, I was in Julian impressed with the setup, and uh, they offered me a good deal, and um, I was prepared to. I signed, uh, and uh, I went over in December 1980 or 1975 rather, and uh, I think I had uh, basically I had a lot of problems when I went over first, uh, in the sense that uh, I found it hard to settle, and. Um, as a result, uh, I made a few unscheduled trips home and I went back and I, I, I did basically find it hard to settle. That was without permission you came home? Yes, uh, once or twice I did that. And uh, I would possibly, in retrospect, say that, uh, you know, I probably got a little bit, got away with murder a little bit uh, in that sense because looking back on it with, with hindsight, of course, is uh, that, uh, you know, I think uh, if they possibly had been a bit harder on me that uh, it probably would have brought it home to me mm-hmm. about, um, you know, what it, what it actually entails to be a professional footballer, you know. Well, you having been dubbed by all the newspapers as the new George Best, how did that affect you when you went out on the pitch? Um, I think, as I said, I don't think it, it didn't affect uh, my mentality really. Uh, that I never actually believed that, but um, it, it obviously might have affected people's uh, view of me on, on the other side. And uh, I, I don't know. I think that uh, I had one or two injuries as well, which didn't help me at the start. I think a lot of players that are going over there for us tend mm. to find that that like with the full-time training and it is a little bit more uh, physical maybe and uh, you know you tend to get injured early on and you, you've got to sort of get over that at, at the start. Well how did it all come to an end then? Um, well you know I, 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 I was home I came home uh, Jordan that the period I was away I was home for about six months and I played with Home Farm for six months and uh, you know uh, played with Ronnie. Ronnie Whelan was in the team as well, and we had Home Farm was possibly one of the most successful periods in the actual league. Mm-hmm. And uh, I, I just got, I was getting married, so I went back, and um, things started to look up a little bit for me. And at that stage, and um, I was playing, I felt anyway, I was playing as well as I'd ever played. And uh, then at the start of the following season, again in pre-season, um, I'd, I'd asked for a transfer, and. Um, when I came back, why did you want to transfer? Because uh, I felt I'd uh, gone as far as maybe I could, or I felt as if that a break might do me good. And uh, I mentioned it to the reserve team, with the reserve team coach at the time, Colin Harvey. Uh, and uh, he, when I did go back uh, for pre-season, he said that there had been a few offers, but uh, I, had, at that stage, I said, well, you know, I'll give it sort of one more go. And mm. um, I was playing in the reserves uh, and. He'd said to me at the end of pre-season that I was our best player in the reserves, and um, 
as luck would have it in the first game of the season at Leeds at Ellen Road, I got uh, I was the victim of a very late challenge and uh, I actually tore the cruciate ligament in my right knee and um, that sort of put me out again for, for three months. But uh, in the meantime, I'd sort of found out that uh, I'd had that I had a problem with my heart. And uh, this was a hole in the heart. Um, not so much a hole in the heart as uh, a faulty valve. One of the valves mm. is uh, is faulty. And uh, you know, in view, I did work hard. I, I when I got injured, I haven't had the initial rest period. I went back training, and I'd set me my sights on getting back mm. for just after Christmas. And um, I worked hard for that, but I didn't make it, and I suppose a bit of sentimental disillusionment set in. And uh, again, it comes back to uh, the old syndrome of the grass being sort of greener over this side of the mm-hmm. pond. And uh, I decided to come home um, wrongly, I think, at the time, in mm-hmm. in retrospect, because um, you know it's much easier to get sort of fixed up with a club, you know, mm-hmm. if you're if you're based in England. The number five on his back, striding into the centre circle, pushing that ball short to Tony Grealish. Grealish pushing it down through the centre to Stapleton. Stapleton's tackle. Ball breaks it. Got it. What a the shot. Oh, it's close. Gary Warnock has scored. As he did a nice one. He's got it again here in Denimar Park. Gary Warnock, aged 25, born in London of Irish parentage. He joined Queen's Park Rangers from school and went on to play 18 times for Ireland as well as in an FA Cup final in 1982. Two years ago, during a league game against Sheffield Wednesday, he injured his knee in a tackle. Despite two years of intensive treatment, that tackle was to end Waddock's career. Well, uh, it was just a tackle uh, playing against Sheffield Wednesday, um, resulting in I ruptured my medial ligament in my right knee and uh, obviously I've had to retire for it. Well, did you know as soon as the tackle, you were in the tackle, that you had done a lot of damage? Well, yeah, I made the tackle, just a normal block tackle, and uh, I went to the ground as I went to get up and run. My knee just wobbled, and uh, I waved out at the bench, like, could you get me off, because I knew it was bad, and that's, well, that's what it is all about, really. Well, what followed was, I suppose, six months of hell for you. Describe it and the various stages of it. Six months is more like two years <laughs> of hell, yeah. Um, <clears throat> obviously, I had an operation, and I think I was in plaster for about three months. I couldn't do a thing at home, like, uh, I couldn't even make a cup of tea, I was, you know, had to hobble about, and if I wanted to go to the toilet, I had to plan about half an hour in advance, sort of thing. But, uh, well, obviously, any sort of operation, it's, it's going to be difficult. And then, uh, coming out of plaster, you've got to get uh, your fitness back and what have you, and that was hard. Um, oh, just hard work, really. Yeah, now, at what stage did it begin to look like you were in trouble? Um, six months ago, I suppose, uh, it came out that um, the club didn't think I was going to regain the same standard of football as before. Um, Did you, at that stage, you had come back into training, had you? Yeah, I was back in training. I'd, uh, I played in the reserves for, for 30-odd games. I got back into the first team for five games. Um, and obviously, I didn't think I was going to do it, really. At that stage, how did you feel? You felt you were good enough for the first team, having had so much experience as it. Yeah, well, uh, when you hear people saying that you're not going to be good enough, uh, you're going to put uh, your defence up sort of thing and say, yeah, I'm, I'm good enough, uh, just leave me, like, give me a chance, I'll show it to you, I can. So you were back in the reserves, just waiting to get a break back in the first team, and it didn't come? It came for, well, 
I'd, as I say, I had five games. And how, how did you do in those? <laughs> I thought I'd done well, but obviously uh, mm. the management didn't think I did. But uh, that's football, isn't it? So then the specialist, the club specialist, looks at the leg and says... Well, uh, he said to me he didn't think my knee could stand up to 42 first division games. Um, he's a specialist and that's his opinion, but um, I didn't play 42 first division games, so no one will know for sure, but uh, they've made a decision, I've made a decision, and that's final, really. Ken O'Doherty went to University College Dublin after school and graduated with a degree in physics and computer science. While there, he played with a college team that sensationally beat Shamrock Rovers in the 1984 FAI Cup Final. A free upcoming to UCD. Paddy Dunning has gone up for it. Paddy Dunning now, at the end of the fifth minute of injury time, gone running up to take his place in the Rovers penalty area. An indirect free for dangerous play, taken by Keith Dignam. He takes it, he swings it at the barrier. Up the rising, it's headed in, it's a goal! It's headed in, and it's a goal, and I don't know who has scored it, but it's a college goal. It's a college goal in the fifth, going into the sixth minute of injury time. It's the winner, and I think, I think, I think it's Ken O'Doherty has got it. I think it's Ken O'Doherty. Well, after that, Ken O'Doherty joined Crystal Palace on a two-year contract and had mixed success in and out of the first team. Towards the end of last year, I had a chat with, with Steve Koppel and he said... Uh, he more or less intimated that he didn't want me and it was time for me to look elsewhere for a club or to, to look for a job. So uh, I, I had gone to one interview for a job and I was looking elsewhere for clubs, but uh, no club came in for me that w w where I wanted mm -hmm. to go. So uh, things were looking quite bleak and uh, about a, a week after he had spoken to me, the, the right back in, at the club got a, a very bad thigh strain so, which meant he was out for the rest of the season. So uh, he asked me to play right back. So I played, and I played the last 10 or 11 games um, in which we were involved in the promotion, the promotion push. And I played well. So on the strength of those 11 games last season, he offered me a new contract for one year. And the situation now is you're in the team. The team are going quite well. And I hope to stay there. <laughs> I aim to stay there now. <clears throat> I've set a, I've set a target of, of 30 games for myself this year. And I'd be very disappointed if I, if I don't reach that target. And then it'll put me in a far stronger negotiating position next year come, come for a contract next March. Well, it's a very unfair question to put on a very negative one, but what if you don't make your 30 games? What if things don't go well for you for the rest of the season? I know they're going well at the moment. Well, uh, I'd be the first to admit that you, just when you, when you get into the team, it doesn't matter. You, you could have one bad game and then... Uh, you could ruin your ambition completely. Um, <clears throat> You're competing, aren't you, with several or eight, seven or eight fellas for four places in the back four? That, that's correct. I'm, I have been told I'm not the, his first choice as either centre-half or right-back, so I just have to wait for the opportunity to get in. Um, I, I, know, I know in my heart and soul that if the, the, first, the first choice right-back is fit and we have a string, if we have two or three bad results, I will be the first person to drop to be dropped regardless of my position, regardless of how, how well I'm playing. So uh, that's where I, I'd, I'd like to think that I always have something to fall back in, that I have gone, gone to UCD and, 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 and I've had a degree and it won't be the end of my world if I'm dropping. I don't reach my goal this year. It's a horrible pressure to have over you, isn't it? Or it's hard to relax in that situation. 
Well, I think I'm in a, in a, in a far better position to relax knowing that uh, football is, isn't the be-all and end-all with me. I, I, like to be, I enjoy it when I'm in. I put myself under, under a small bit of pressure starting off. But now that I've gained a little bit of experience, I'm a little bit more relaxed when I, when I get a, a first team place and don't put myself under too much pressure. And I find it pays off and I, play, I, I do play better. Yeah. What would your situation be if you didn't sign for them again next year, if the money they offered you wasn't good enough? Or how would you be fixed? Um, to be honest, Des, I, I, I think I had the opportunity to leave last year. Or they, in other words, they had the opportunity to get rid of me last year. And uh, I... I after an initial cooling period of a month, after thinking about it, I wouldn't have minded because I think financially I, I would be better off if, if I got out of football and got myself a job and co combined with playing non-league football, the combined earnings of, of the two w would exceed my, my earnings now. Despite the gloomy stories and the uncertainty of the career, most youngsters still want to try to be a professional footballer. Thousands play in Ireland every week, hoping to make the big time. The first step is to be signed as an apprentice. London club Arsenal have strong Irish links and their youth development officer Terry Murphy explains how they sign a talented youngster. Well, we get straight on to our, our scout uh, that's uh, in there, which is Mr Bill Darby. Um, he probably knows about him already mm. anyway because anything that's, that's come up that's any good, he normally knows about that. So we... Um, we get on to him and he, he, he gives his opinion on it because quite often, you know, clubs, we hear of good boys out there and he knows them. He says, well, it's not, not for you because um, he has a more difficult job than, than our London-based scouts because we can, they're local, we can have them in. It doesn't cost us that much. Mm -hmm. But to have a boy from Ireland over costs us quite a bit. So he really needs to scrutinise them and he actually watches them for a long time before he, he, he goes in and says... Uh, you know, I'm interested in you. You know, would you like to come over to the Arsenal? So it, it's it's not just a one-off match that he would see. He'd watch that boy for a long time um, to make up his mind. So he wouldn't be wasting our time. And at what age would you be interested in players? From how young? Well, we we can certainly in England uh, have boys training with us in their last year of primary school, which is under 11. Um, so we would monitor a boy's progress. They can come here under 11, and at 14, that's when they can sign for your club mm. as an associated schoolboy. Um, so you, you could probably have watched them for three, three years before signing them. So you have them coming in at 10, is it, or 11? Well, um, 10, coming up to 11, yes. That's very young. Uh, to my mind, it's too young, to be honest, um, because uh, you know, at a very young age, you can get a boy that knows a bit about the game, has got a talent, mm. and, and he can show you that talent because people are not strong, they don't close you down, they don't know much about the game. Um, so he could look a very, very good player, and you, you, know, you say, OK, come, come, come. And in the, when he reaches 15, 16, um, his talent doesn't show so much because the, the game has become a lot more knowledgeable for the other boys and he doesn't have that time to produce his skills. So uh, you could have had him for four years, five years even, and then say, well, sorry, you know, we don't think you're going to progress anymore. And other lads that you didn't think much of at 11 and 12 developed uh, develop through. So um, you disappoint a lot of lads, actually, um, and you could lose a lot of boys by thinking, mm. oh, well, you know, at this age is not too good. And then he comes on, and, and because you've already turned him down at 11 and 12, he doesn't want to know you at... Uh, 
And, uh, and why, why do you compete for them at that age? Is it because other clubs will take them if you don't get them? Well, it, it's a catch-22 situation, you know, I, although I don't agree with that. Um, it's part of my job to make sure I get you know, the best here. And if if I say, well, no, it's too young, I won't have them until they're 14, then I'll, I'll lose them because they'll go to other clubs and, um, for want of a better word, that club will indoctrinate them mm. in, in their ways and they'll like that club. And then when it comes for the age of signing, you say, well, come to us, and they say, oh, no, I'm quite happy here. One of the more promising young Irish players to join Arsenal in recent years is 17-year-old Pat Scully from Dolphins Barn in Dublin. He joined Arsenal as an apprentice last year. But what is life as an apprentice like? Well, you start off Monday, just go and train. Go and train at about ten. Finish at about two or something. Like that. Yeah. And uh, actually finish for the day, like, and you just go home down to your house and just sit and I'll go out and have a game of snooker or something. Like that. And did, he, did you find it hard putting in the hours? I mean, you've a lot of free time. I did at the start. It gets a bit boring, especially during the daytime, like from. Three to six is very boring sometimes, yeah. so you've got to go out and do something. And uh, you so just you, you become a good snooker player in the weekend. Yeah. <laughs> so you just do that every day, except for Wednesday where we used to we used to go to college and do walk experience around the ground and all that. Well, tell us a bit about that. When you went to college, what did you do at college? On we the done Wednesday? a we done a a course, an exam thing, just kind of just to fill the time, you know. That all apprentices do yeah, with yeah. every club. Everyone done it. There was just uh, us, Tottenham and Chelsea. What kind of subjects or what would be in the exam? It was just kind of a recreational thing, you know. Just loads, all different questions in it. Like. About history, geography? No, it was nothing like that. It was about parts of your body, your bones, oh, all yeah. that. Forced aid, tax, just loads of different subjects. You also have a lot of duties to do as an apprentice. Yeah. And and they're not pleasant, though, for any young fellow who might think... No, it's very hard, very hard. Do them every Friday and after every first thing game. What are they? Just you scrub down all the floors, clean all the tables, windows, just do everything, clean everything. All around the club? All over the club. So it's not all glamour? No, it's very hard. And your salary as an apprentice was very small too? Very small. £27.50 a week we got. That won't get you far in London? No, it gets you nothing at all. Probably go out one night and that spend £27 easy. So now, things went very well for you really. By the end of your first year as an apprentice, you were in the reserve team. Yeah, things went. Yeah, I had a very. I think I had a very good first year getting into the reserves and all that. So I was pleased with that. Yeah. So, then you were made professional. Tell us about that. How you got the contract or how you were. Well, uh, just coming up to the start of this year, Terry Murphy called me into the office and just said that he was talking to George Graham and they were going to sign a professional. And how much did that mean to you? It means a great lot. Yeah. yeah. It means you get more money and all that, and you for spare time don't have to do duties anymore. And that that you feel is one of the big things. You're no longer yeah, cleaning it's up. Great days. <laughs> and what are you earning now? 150 a week. But you get taxed and all that. Now. You, t- you get taxed about 40. I think it is. You come out about 110. And there's, on top of that, you have other costs which you didn't have before. You have to pay your travel, your digs. You just pay everything on your own now. And that was paid for you before. Yeah. And what if you want to go home to Ireland now, which used to be paid? I have to pay that myself as well. Yeah. Have you? So in effect, you're not earning much more money now than... No, just, you get about £10 more, that's all. So you've about £37 for yourself. Yeah. <laughs> so you're certainly keeping a quiet life, aren't yeah. you? <laughs> Former Northern Ireland international Pat Rice is in charge of the Arsenal apprentices 
and he explains why they earn so little money. An apprentice earns very little, really, in, in, in comparison to the, I should imagine, to the work that he actually does. But uh, I think that what you've got to remember, that he is, he is an apprentice. And uh, he's, he's got to work, and, it, and like everything else, is that if he reaches the top, especially at a club like Arsenal, well, then the rewards, hopefully, will be very good for him. So, uh, so I, would, I would agree with that. What about their lifestyle? What would be an average week for a, an apprentice? Well, the average week would be they would. Uh, what I do is that I split them up into, into into groups, and the groups go through all of the year. Now, if they if they, for instance, are in the let's say for instance September group, there will be four or five of them. Now, those four or five have got to be here at quarter past eight every morning. Uh, what they do then, if there's if there's uh, if there's any rubbish to be taken over to to the bins, or if they're uh, if they've got to get the kit on, or anything really, to to do before we actually leave at 20 minutes to nine to go to London Conley, they are the they are the four or the five who do it. Then the next month, then it'll it'll be they will be off it, and another four or five will will be on it. We'll get to London Conley about half past nine. Uh, they will then have other duties. They will. They will, uh, There'll be players in, in charge of balls and bibs. There'll be players in charge of uh, different equipment. Uh, if there's a weight circus got to go out, they will have to get that out. Uh, if there's cones and things like that there to be brought over to where the first team squad is training or the reserve team squad is training, they will do that. If there's goals to be moved, portable goals, uh, they will make sure that they are moved or, or markings to be done. They will then do that. Um, there is... Uh, there's all sorts of things that, that they can do. There are uh, every one of them is on boots. Uh, explain that. Then. Well, what what it is is that uh, if let's say for instance I am someone let's say like uh, who can you say? Say David O'Leary we're talking about. Right. Okay. Well, if you were talking about David O'Leary and he was one of the trainees, he may be in charge of let's say for instance Charlie Nicholas and Alan Smith's boots. Well, he's got to make it. He's got to make sure that uh, he picks them up uh, before and after training. They are clean. Uh, for they are clean for the two players, put back in their locker. So as whenever they come the uh, next day, all they've got to do is pick their boots up and they are clean. Very few of them make it, isn't? That's the bottom line, isn't it? That's that's right. That's right. And uh, I mean to say that there is one of the things that 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 is uh, is told to them whenever they first join us. You see, there's a, there's this old cliche about uh, which I think is a cliche about where you're you're under pressure when you when you're in the first team. Well, I don't agree with that because, especially where these boys are concerned, they're under pressure now. They come here as trainees, and we've got them for two years. Now, in that two years, they have got to prove to all of the staff, not just to 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 me, but to the to the youth development people, to all of the coaches, to the to the manager, that they are good enough to be signed on as a pro. Then, when they sign on as as a pro, they're then going to get themselves into the reserve side, yeah. and then into the first team. And when you're in the first team, all you really got to do is play well, and you'll be in there next 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 week. So really and truthfully, as far as that goes, it, that there is is like down to you. But the pressure is on to actually get there. What would you say is the percentage of those who make it compared to those who don't? Oh goodness, goodness, cracky, one in a thousand, something like that. David O'Leary is one in a thousand. He has been incredibly successful at Arsenal since joining them as a 15-year-old. He made his debut at 17 and has been a regular in the team ever since, as well as being a regular Irish international. You come over dreaming of what you were watching matches a day on a Saturday night at home in Dublin and thinking that, you know, oh, 
but when you come here you start at the very bottom and you think you're maybe a good player from probably being in uh, most people come here have been screwed by the internationals for the country but you really come here and you hit the rock bottom and <laughs> it's basics and uh, you know as I say you thought you were a good player but you realise how far you've got to go and improve and that hits a lot of people because they I think they don't want to work hard enough you, you can't work hard enough you know to get there the rewards are tremendous but um, a lot of people fall by the wayside getting there really what about when you were an apprentice the year you came? How many of, of the apprentices from that year came through? Um, just myself, really. That was all. But there's. And what happened to the others? Well, they just I, they just went. They were let go or didn't make it. Some of them sustained injuries along the way. But there's one in thousands upon thousands make it. Um, you know, it, it's luckily we've got a, the good. It's a good ratio here. People that come through the ranks. But um, it's very few come through out of all the thousands that they do have. What about the kid in Dublin or his father when they're approached by a scout? I mean, what advice would you give them? Because immediately they think they're about to become stars, don't they? Well, <laughs> they're not going to become stars. It's, I, I mean, looking back, I, I don't know how my mum and dad let me go at 15. Because, uh, I mean, I've got kids now and I, I don't want them to grow up anyway. So, uh, it, But... I mean, I've a lot to thank them for because they gave up a great deal letting me come away. There's no shortcuts, really. I think if you're going to make it, you have to come over young. You've got to get into the professional game. And really, you've got to be prepared to just start at the bottom and give it all you have. And as I say, luck plays a little part in it. But it's mainly hard work and give it a go and overcome all the, the hardships that you're going to come across, like the homesickness and... Um, the harder type of training morning and afternoon which takes time to get used to and really plug away and be determined to hopefully give it all you can and that you will come someday uh, walk out of Highbury representing the first team I was, I was afraid that if, if I didn't come over at 16 they mightn't want me when I was 17 but my mum and dad didn't seem to have any doubts so I just kind of went along with that Liam Brady from Whitehall, Dublin, joined Arsenal at 15 and has gone on to become Ireland's most capped player in history. He played in three FA Cup finals with Arsenal and also guided them to the European Cup Winners' Cup final. Then came a lucrative move to Italy, where he joined Juventus and helped them win two league titles before moving on to Inter Milan, Sampdoria and Ascoli. Last season, he moved back to West Ham and he's reputed to be one of the wealthiest players in the English league. He recalls his apprentice days. There's about three of us. Three of us still playing league football. Uh, I think I was the only one in my year to actually succeed at Arsenal. So I think that's the kind of percentages out of about twelve lads who came that year. Then, you, of course, you had great success with Arsenal. Won the cup. You got to a European final, and then the move to Italy. Financially, that was the high point of your career, wasn't it? Well, there's huge, there's huge difference between the finance. Uh, in in Italian football to 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 that in England, um, uh, not only uh, player salaries but also transfer fees and the price people pay to actually go and see matches. So uh, that's why this it's it's a hell of a difference. And uh, yeah, I'm sure anyone who leaves England to go to Italy is going to benefit financially. But you spent several years there. Presumably from that, are you now comfortably well off for the rest of your career, having been one of the top players? 
Well, what, what, life what's the rest of your life? <laughs> well, I don't, I don't really think about that. I suppose I am, um, but um, it's not going to stop me working or trying to, trying to. Uh, not, I wouldn't say make more money, but certainly trying to. Uh, Try to get self-satisfaction and job satisfaction. Mm-hmm. When my football career is finished, I'll certainly look uh, for something uh, to give me as much satisfaction. It'll be difficult, but I, I will look for something to give me as much satisfaction as football has. But at the moment, you have a good house, good car, and a family life. I've got a car. I've got a car that goes, and I've got a, <laughs> I'm, I'm uh, able to pay my mortgage, so um, I have no problems. Do you ever sit down and say, "God, I'm really lucky to have done so well"? It could have. Well, I, I've just said that to you. I am lucky. Uh, uh, I've seen players who actually have made it uh, up to a certain point and because of a bit of bad luck or maybe uh, they were being a bit uh, wayward in their lifestyle or it's, it, can, it can be any, any number of things have, uh, have ended up uh, really uh, struggling. That's why I consider myself to be uh, one of the fortunate ones. One man who succeeded without going through the apprentice system is Kevin Moran. He now has had 10 successful years at Old Trafford and is a vital member of the international team. He was a Gaelic football star with Dublin before deciding to join Manchester United. He had a degree and worked as an accountant in Dublin. I suppose in many ways that helped me because uh, I had a lot of experience from the Dublin days playing Gaelic football and I was well used to big crowds as well. And, um, you know, fortunately I was able to adapt quickly. But in terms of your future life, you also had the cushion of being an accountant. That's true, yeah. Um, As you say, I was fortunate enough to finished uh, my education whereas an awful lot of young players that do go over they tend to arrive at about 15, 16 years of age and uh, they don't really have a trade or anything behind them and uh, as you say things at times just don't work out for them You can make a very good lifestyle playing with a top club as you, as you have done I'm sure but at the end of your days at United would you go down a few divisions or would you just go back working? Um, at this moment in time I'd prefer to uh, think that I, I might work actually outside it and I'd like to think that at the moment this moment in time I'd be preparing to do things outside of football rather than to depend on football for a living mm. it's a, it can be a very dodgy career to have because there's so many ups and downs in it and as you say it's great when you do make it and most people always hear about the people that make it but there's an awful lot more people that don't make it and it's sad for them But realistically though a top pro at United for say 10 years can at the end of that, if he looks after himself, set up, put aside enough money to set up a business or whatever for when he's finished? Yeah, th- that's true. You could put aside a few bob to put, set up a business, but this is where the problem occurs. I've seen an awful lot of uh, ex-United players in the past have a few bob, a lot of money afterwards, and they go and put it into a business with somebody else, and the business goes bust because uh, players in general aren't geared towards looking after a business. And they might have some friend who comes along and thinks that with your name and your money and my idea... We've got a great setup, you know, and I've seen a lot of players which, um, with money and after a few years after they've been out of the game, all the money's gone. Do you think clubs then should be more responsible in training guys for preparing for when they're finished? I do. I think clubs should, uh, should actually be more aware of trying to help. Clubs don't particularly do it, because, but it is left up to the PFA. And I would say nowadays it, um, the PFA give an awful lot more help to players when they've actually finished the game. They're much more aware of their responsibility to do this. And um, as you say, it's an awful lot better now than what it was, say, 10 years ago. So players are, from that point of view, uh, more aware of what's going to happen after they finish football. Kevin Moran and Ken O'Doherty are unusual in having degrees. Most professional footballers in England haven't got extensive education. 
and if they fail to make the grade, it's a big problem. Anto Whelan. By and large, your work was finished at lunchtime as a footballer. Maybe the other afternoon you trained, but by and large, your, your work was finished at lunchtime and you had ample opportunity to, to study. And even in my time, I can remember getting the syllabus from Manchester Polytechnic. I was determined that I'd, I'd do something with my time. But I just had to pass me by because uh, I suppose deep down you feel you're going to make it and you don't really need anything else. But certainly, as a word of advice for any young, young man, or not, or not young man, anyone who goes at 20, 21, 22, no matter what his age is, that certainly I think he should, he should look to, to educate himself in something away from football. Mm. You, you mentioned earlier that uh, it's a common problem that players who come back f struggle to get jobs. It's not uncommon. Certainly not. It's certainly not. You, I, I, you don't have to mention names, but there, there are people knocking around football in Ireland now who, who you could class as big names who, who can't find decent employment. Mm. Maybe it's a sign of the times. But it, it's also strange that you don't see the same thing happen in, in rugby circles or maybe GAA circles. Maybe soccer is a poor relation. And just by coincidence, you were working for H. Williams and now they've gone and that's a bit of a culture shock to you too, isn't it? That's right. It's a, it's a, a big blow. I, I was lucky when I came back... Uh, I got a, a temporary job for a while, for a year, and then I was lucky enough through a friend of mine I got a job in which was Tesco's, and then it became H. Williams. It turned into a nice little job, but uh, uh, we went into receivership a couple of mm. weeks ago and I've lost my job now. You've, as an active bloke, you're finding that hard to accept now? Yes, I'm finding it very hard to accept. It's, uh, it's not easy to put in your day, and then you have to rely on it. We go to the unemployment exchange, and I have to admit that was you talk about a dark day when Ron Atkinson told me that my contract was up. But uh, that was the darkest day when I, I had to go to the unemployment exchange. It just felt he'd gone from a height at Manchester. It's not easy to forget that at one stage you were you were in the Manchester first team playing in front of sixty thousand, and a couple of years later you're you're at the Labour Exchange. It's it's not very easy to accept, and hopefully it won't last for too long. With a bit of luck. Gary Waddock, recently forced to retire at 25, faces similar problems. Yeah, football's my life. Uh, I've had a knockback now. Uh, I don't know what I'm going to do now. Um, uh, me, me whole world is upside down at the moment. Um, all right, I was lucky enough that I, I played in the first division. I played for Ireland. Uh, I played in the cup final. Uh, but there's a lot of lads who haven't done that. But uh, that was their aim to do that. And uh, they've... They've got nothing now, uh, but lucky enough I have, I, I've got that to look back at. Mm. But a lot of players haven't, a lot of kids who've, who've come across thinking they're going to make it. Everyone thinks they're going to make it. Mm. But um, there's only two, two or three out of whatever, I'd say 10, 20 players who do. And mm. uh, the lads who don't, they're soon forgotten about. And, and realistically, you have no skill or training to turn to now that you're finished at 25. No, no, I've uh, <laughs> I only know football and... Uh, some of the games I played in, I couldn't even do that. But <laughs> um, no, I, I've got no. Um, does, does it worry you or bother you that you have no skill to fall back on? Yeah, of course it does. Yeah. Well, at the moment, I'm I'm known as an ex-footballer. At the moment, uh, I've I haven't got a well, I haven't got a job at the moment. Um, I've got no um, qualifications. Uh, I don't know what I'll do. And that's really it. A stark warning for youngsters coming over in terms of education and training, isn't it? Well, when I was younger, all I thought about was being a, a professional footballer. I never thought that I would get injured and have to retire. 
Uh, I always thought I was going to make it, uh, sign as a uh, professional. I was one of the lucky ones, I did. But uh, the lads who are young now, 14, 15, who are thinking about coming to uh, professional football, make sure you uh, keep working at school and try and get the O-levels or whatever, A-levels, if you can. Uh, and obviously you've got to think about after football as well as uh, trying to make it now as a footballer. Remarkable performance by Liverpool, unbeaten in the league since that 1-0 defeat at Brighton on March the 6th. 12 wins and 2 draws, 11 straight league wins, a club record. And here's Whelan going forward, and Whelan shoots! 3-1! And Ronnie Whelan waves to the cop. And the league championship now, quite definitely, quite definitely, is coming back to Anfield for the 13th time. And the Irishman, who scored twice in the League Cup final, has set the seal on it. Since that programme was made, Ken O'Doherty has moved on from Crystal Palace after failing to make the team during their bid for promotion. He has joined former Irish international manager Owen Hand at third division side Huddersfield Town. Pat Scully is still at Arsenal and emerged as one of the stars of the Irish youth's international team. Anto Whelan's club Bray Wanderers were relegated from the League of Ireland Premier Division but he was immediately signed by Shelburne. And Martin Murray enjoyed a tremendous season. He was one of the stars of the Dundalk team that dominated the League of Ireland and won the League and Cup double. 